0: .NET Rocks, episode 1075, with guest Steve Sanderson. Recorded Thursday, December 4th, 2014.
1: Hey boys and girls, it's .NET Rocks again. I'm Carl Franklin. And I'm Richard Campbell. And we're at uh, NDC London in the fishbowl out in the middle of everything, so there's a lot of talking in the background, and we'll just hope. And that's know. what it's like to record at a conference. That's what happens. Yeah, we don't get our we we get to take our microphones, but not our studios. <laughs> that's true. Steve Sanderson is here. We're going to be talking with him in a minute. I uh, can't wait to talk about that. But let's get right to it and roll the crazy music for Better Know a Framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? It hits me every once in a while that we uh, know so much stuff because we were there at the beginning of .NET. Yeah, it's true, yeah. And there's a lot of people that are just trying to figure this stuff out, and of course, nobody's talking fundamentals anymore. Because everybody who's done that has done that. And, and, we've and been fundamentals
0: gone. are different, too. They've evolved, you know, .NET 4.5 is very different from 1, 1.1, In to, some ways, yes, but yeah. in
1: some ways, no. Some things haven't changed since 2008, 2009. Right. And uh, this is one of them. So this is the process, this, the, uh, the uh, process, which you can use to kick off another process and control it. And you have a lot of control over it. But you can use it synchronously. You can use it asynchronously. You can get different streams, standard in, standard out. Right. You can uh, do a lot of things with this if you want to kick something off, typically uh, some sort of script or something like that that yep. runs or some sort of command line tool. Uh, I used to use it to process MP3 data with the lame encoder. Oh, yeah. So you can do MP3 encoding in real time by passing buffers through standard in and getting compressed buffers through standard out and um, that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of things that you can do with this. However, it's kind of tricky. And there are ways, there are things to do and things not to do. So I found this great website, and this is from 2009. If you go to tinyurl.com slash process this is from csharptest.net, which is a blog, and uh, this is, is a great post on what to do and what not to do when using process and how to make it work. So, uh, there you go. So, I know that there are a lot of people that uh, weren't around in those And days. have to deal
0: with it. And you, you think, because it's under the diagnostic set, it's only for debugging.
1: Yeah, but no. Not
0: for normal workflow, but it, that's true.
1: Nope, and you can get events, you can uh, do all sorts of stuff, and there's... Also, links to other resources of good projects and things. So there cool, you go. man. Yeah.
0: Note, it, learn it, love it, man. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 933, the one we did with one Steven Sanderson, talking mm-hmm. about GPUs on the web. And that was at NDC London this time last year. Yeah. So a year later. Uh, and Dominic Finn wrote this great comment also about a year ago where he mm-hmm. said, what a show. Most excellent. I was listening to this in the car this morning, and I was tempted to pull over and just start looking into the WebGL stuff there and then.
1: You know, that's the sign of a good podcast. but yeah, right so People we have people
0: stop over. what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I also briefly looked into the WebGL stuff. There's so much potential. I didn't realize it was Steve Sanderson working on the Azure front end. Mm-hmm. It's a real work of art and a great tool for selling cloud computing at my company. Mm-hmm. In academia, they call this stuff like that a corporate excitement tool. That's nice. a good lie. That is awesome. Corporate yeah. tool. <laughs> Something to wet the lips of the guys who hold the purse strings. Uh-huh. I've called it lollipops too. Right? Yeah, so I'm going to give you right. a lollipop. Now buy my toys. Some ice cream. That's it. <laughs> ice cream. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was a fun comment, at Dominic. Thanks so much for, uh, for sending that in to us. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET or in any of our mobile apps because we've got them for Android, for Windows Phone 7 and 8, for iOS, and for Windows 8.
1: And that brings us to Steve Sanderson. He is currently working as a developer for Microsoft and the team that brings you the ASP.NET technology stack, IIS, and other web things. Previously, he developed .NET software as a contractor consultant for clients in Bristol and beyond, plus wrote some books for A-Press, such as *Pro ASP.NET MVC Framework. From time to time, Steve speaks at user groups and conferences, and recently has been running a bunch of training courses on topics such as C Sharp, SQL Server, and of course ASP.NET MVC. You might also know him as the Knockout Guy. He's the guy that brought us Knockout.js. Welcome back, Steve. Hi, good to be back. Good to see you great to be here. What do you think of that comment uh, when you hear stuff like that?
2: That is cool, yeah. I can relate to that sort of thing. I've had experiences too where I've been listening to podcasts and I've just been like, I need to start a new open source library now or something yeah. like that. So I need yeah. to code in this right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But the th- the, his enthusiasm for the
1: Azure portal is shared by many people. I mean, it, it's so awesome compared to the other guys and what the user interface that they have.
2: Okay, good. Uh, well, thank you. I'm I'm kind of flattered, but also it's not me you're praising there. We've got an entire team of UX designers who've yeah. you know they've come up with this thing and uh, yeah they they were brave in coming up with a, a completely new way of uh, interacting with something through a web browser and um, I guess whoever signed off on letting them do it was fairly brave as well. But I, I think it's paying off now at
0: uh, the Devon New Conference a few weeks ago. Um, Scott Guthrie had one of the designers with him, and I'm I'm really embarrassed. I, his name has slipped my mind. Oh yeah, but they had a real conversation about this, the lo- the whole look and feel of the portal is quite compelling. Yeah, uh, but you, you, I'm I'm presuming you worked on some of the underpinnings of it. Yeah, that's right. So stuff.
2: I'm on a team called the Shell Team. Okay, we've, we've got there are like two teams that are basically responsible to, for delivering the the core application there and then there's n other teams that actually plug in the functionality for specific areas so mm-hmm. there's the websites team the sequel team the you know the azure active directory team the tfs team etc and they're all you know working with us but i'm on the shell team which is responsible for designing the actual architecture that holds everything together right uh, and so we need to make sure that All these other teams have got a a nice SDK to work against. Right. And way to interface into your shell. Yeah. It's got to make sense. It's, we have to treat them like proper consumers who need nice tooling and, you know, proper documentation and everything like that. Right. And, uh, yeah. And then we have to make sure that the code that they deliver to us is, uh, going to work in a robust way. So Mm -hmm. even if they make a mistake, not that they ever would because they're all wonderful, but let's just say (laughs) something tragic happened one day and they did something wrong, we'd still need it not to make the entire website crash and burn. And we need to make sure that even if they make security mistakes, there's uh, technical reasons why a security error in one part of the system can't affect another part of the system and so on.
1: Azure portal seems to me to be the shining example of a spa that is complex and big and works well. And <laughs> complex and
2: big, I can uh, relate to those parts of it, yeah. certainly, from, from my perspective <laughs> in the cloud. But yeah. he's just going to walk <laughs> away from, I guess? No, no, no. It, I'm sure it works well. I just see it more from the implementation side than sure. from the user side. Right. You see the pain most of the <laughs> time. You, and, and
1: a lot of the times, are you trying to make it more efficient? What yeah. is your job? Is that what you do?
2: Well, that's not my specialism. We do have one guy who has spent almost the entire last year just... Solidly doing performance work, and he's, wow. you know, he's got an incredible level of insight into mm-hmm. what the browsers are doing, and you know, he knows how a line of JavaScript translates into instructions on the GPU to, you know, move elements around and things like that. And so he, he gives us a lot of insight into what we can and can't do in order to make a, a really big UI that performs well. Right. Um, yeah. And, it, so, yeah. and it, one of the things we just did a show uh,
0: recently, probably come out a week before this one. Uh, talking about the Chrome developer tools oh, yeah. and, and their ability to monitor memory usage yeah. of a web page. Yeah. So it used to be web pages only around for a couple of minutes,
2: but yeah. you, know, you can yeah. open up that Azure portal page and it's open all day. Yeah, that's definitely one of our key scenarios is for, for people to be able to put this thing up on a big screen and just see some charts that just stay there for weeks at a time. So
1: there's a lot of setting objects to know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, hopefully not. Hopefully we can, you know, play well enough with the way that the garbage collection is going to work that, you know everything will get collected right and we we try very hard to design apis such that even if someone fails to dispose things it's still going to get collected mm-hmm. anyway like that's, that's actually quite an interesting point you, you know the idisposable interface from sure. .NET. that's mm. kind of where we started in our technology we we wow. would say oh you you knew up your view models for your new parts or something like that and then later on you need to dispose stuff when you're done with them and that it turns out does not work because people will not always remember to do that. Sure. And even if one in a thousand times they forget, that one in a thousand over yep. the course of a few hours is going to blow up to like half a gigabyte of memory yeah, usage. Sure. Or something. How many times
0: have you gone and yeah. looked at task manager and you've got yeah. a gigabyte assigned
2: to it? Yeah, a Chrome instance. Absolutely. So, and we can't put up with that. So we've we've moved completely away from that sort of disposability pattern. We've got this other pattern now that we call lifetime management, where Uh, anything that needs to be collected eventually, we pass an object into it that defines the sort of boundary of its lifetime. Right. And then we, the shell team, are responsible for telling that, object when it's time to die. Oh, wow. And so that forces everything to be disposed, whether or not the developer working to that API remembers to do so.
1: Time to die based on what? Based on amount of
2: usage? or uh, Based on when the UI says that it's no longer required. So you you make a graph or something, and it's on the UI. The user later on closes the blade that it's on, so that graph goes away, Hmm. and we need to release all the resources. Hmm. But we can't count on the the view model for that part remembering to do so. Mm -hmm. We've got to have a way of hooking in and making sure that things get released so um, yeah, if I if I was going to write a blog post on this, I would call it something like "I Dispose considered harmful," and yeah. you know, <laughs> come up with a this is what the pattern should have looked like and how right. dangerous it is to give control over lifetime to the consumer. But then you yeah. you're still having to rely on the shell to do it. Yeah, then. yeah. I mean, ultimately, there's no magical oracle that that yeah. ultimately solve the problem but we feel that put if we in can in solve place. the problem once yeah,
1: put it in one place
2: then it doesn't have to be solved a thousand times yeah, and that's great. and the
0: individual plugin owners can't get to play unless they register with you so that yeah. you know yeah. what resources are being used yeah, you, so that you can kill them yeah that's right yeah and it, and you know, that seems to me the biggest whammy around the whole spa model is mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. memory leak issue
1: Something that JavaScript programmers up to then had (laughs) never had to deal with, really. Yeah. Yeah. Lifespans just
2: weren't long enough. It is, that is a tricky thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the Chrome tools. Uh, They, they are pretty good at Mm -hmm. helping you track down memory leaks but you'll you may notice that like about every three months they announce oh we've now released even better tooling for tracking down memory leaks it was so hard before but now it's easy and every three months it's like oh now it's easy and it's (laughs) going now (laughs)
0: yeah
2: and never (laughs) ultimately is it easy because it's a hard problem but they are doing some really good stuff that makes it you know many orders of magnitude easier than it would have been without that stuff
1: we're People using people are using Knockout to do spas as well. Yeah. And yeah, that's right. You still have your hand in that project.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I am still pretty well involved. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what we used to build the Azure. Oh no, I'm kidding! Preview really? model. Yeah. Well, uh, that's, that's a great um, endorsement right there. Yeah. 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 Um, l- let me be clear. It wasn't my choice. To do uh, that. Okay. So. Not that you have any bias. Right? <laughs> yeah, that would have probably come across as something of a bias perspective yeah. on that. No, I, um, I, I, joined the team working on this after they made that selection, partly because they made that okay. selection, which, which wow. you know, is interesting to me to see how this thing can get pushed to a, you know, one of the most extreme cases it can be in. And, right.
0: and yeah, it's working really well. And Did they hunt you down because they were using that tool? It's like, get that Sanderson over here. We need to talk to you. I yeah. think it may have been a little a little bit like that. But yeah, <laughs> That's right, yeah. Cool. Well, let's face it. You probably have some pretty good insight into how it's working.
2: Yes. Uh, well, I ought to. Uh, yeah. You'd I've hope. had my head in that space for a long time. For but sure. I'm not the only person working on it. There's yeah. three other people on the core team now who certainly write a lot more code for it than wow. I do these yeah. days. And then there's a much bigger community around it of people who just when they feel like it send pull requests or issues and steadily making
0: contributions to
2: it you would think that it would be done (laughs) well okay so one thing that's distinctive about knockout as compared with similar model view libraries for javascript is that it really is a library and it it is very deliberate about constraining the scope of the problem that it wants to solve Mm. and for that reason it's more possible for it to be done than some of the other things. You're not
0: just being the Swiss Army knife of, now we'll do this, and now we'll do this. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, Yeah. you're focused on the binding.
2: Yeah, well, I would say there are three main strands to to what we do, two of which have always been in, and one we've only actually added quite recently. And those are, at, at the bottom level, we have this... The whole thing about reactive data or observability and sure. computed properties and stuff. So that's just data in the abstract and being able to track the relationships between data and flow changes from one place to another in right. a really yeah. efficient way that's easy for the programmer to make sense of. So that's one strand. Then the second strand would be binding that to a user interface, mm-hmm. or, you know, dynamically creating HTML and binding it to this reactive data that's underneath it. Mm. And then the third aspect that we've only really brought in since version 3.2, which was about three or four months ago, would be... Application composition, so being able to dynamically load different parts of your application and uh, wire up the bindings to them at the right time and mm. tear th- things down. Um, that is a yeah. description of stuff that goes on on the on the Azure uh, portal page oh, yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Yep. Yes, it is. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, we don't use so that application composition thing or what we call components in Knockout is not something that we use in Azure Preview Portal be- oh, okay. because simply because Azure Preview Portal predates it by right. you know like a year or something like that. Um, but I'm sure we would have used that if it had been around mm-hmm. at the time, and we probably will migrate some parts of the system. Yeah, i got to think there's some that. learnings there that yeah. go fl- sort of flow both ways. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So I'm
1: curious to know, in, when you're developing Knockout and you, you know, had your users giving you feedback, some who uh, were just experiencing spa development for yeah. the first time, this memory management issue is bound to come up. Yeah, that's true. Did you just say, you know, hey, that's that's your <laughs> thing. That's uh, not, We don't do memory management. You know, <laughs> you're on your own. Or did, did any best practices come out of that experience?
2: Yeah, okay. So I think we th- there are limits to what extent you can take responsibility for someone else's code. Sure. And memory mm-hmm. management is a hard one because someone reports something like, I think I might have got a memory leak. Well, Mm. You know, unless you can produce like a repro of that that's just uses knockout, then it's yeah. really hard for sure. us to have any idea whether it's our fault or their fault. Right. And I think in the early days of the library, people did find real memory leaks and they were able to actually say, Look, knockout is really leaking memory in this case and then we fixed it. Or other but, things that yeah.
1: might have been leaking memory that we didn't know, but because we weren't doing spas.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um and but it's been more in the last sort of year or two. You know, these kind of core scenarios, they're so battle-tested now that it's pretty hard to believe that there are just, like, completely undiscovered memory leaks in the core parts of Knockout. So it's more a case of, like, working with people to understand under what circumstances things will leak memory and, you know, try and help people come up with patterns that uh, try to avoid it. And so that's something we've done with the new component system. Mm. There's a, a standard place to plug in disposal logic for any component and Knockout will automatically call it at the right time. Oh, so, oh, is
1: that sort of like the shell thing that you were describing in the Azure?
2: It's a bit like that. Um, yeah, it, it's like that in the sense that you can't avoid dispose being called because you're not the one who has to do it. Right. Knockout will do that for you. Okay. But you are still responsible for knowing what stuff you need to dispose. Yeah. Right. Um, with, unfortunately, there's no way around that because sure. that's, that's domain knowledge that can't. Yep live yeah. in a library
0: that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's ownership and that's how yeah. it is and I, you know part of the there's so much that is convention behavior inside of tools like knockout that yep. it's you've got to really study the interplay of other libraries on a given page mm-hmm. you know you don't necessarily know where convention is going to have interplay you didn't ever think of that, that uh-huh. might generate a leak
2: yeah yeah totally yeah is, the memory leaks are just are just hard They're yeah. among the hardest type of bugs to to work with those and intermittent bugs in general are mm-hmm. just that's the, the worst case. Where you
0: just don't know what components are causing the problem actually. You're yeah. only seeing the, the symptom. You're not seeing yeah. the actual causes at all.
2: Yeah, exactly, yeah. But, you know, Knockout is, with it being a library, there's not that much abstraction. So when you see an error, it's... Generally, not sort of twelve steps removed from the cause. Yes, generally, yeah. like it could be in some pathological cases, but
0: yeah, yeah. you never know what people are going to do, yeah. right? That's the nature of a library. People yeah. use it the way they're going to use it. Yeah, and not probably yeah. not the way you intended. Yeah, right? yeah. It's so obvious, I think, for most folks that the Azure portal is built the right way. Mm-hmm. And, you know that we we really like that. Okay, and we like right. the look of it and so forth. But I think there's a real conversation that I think we've had a few times about. How good an idea spas actually are? Yeah. All right.
2: Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the, the well, there's definitely pros and cons. And mm-hmm. uh, I did a talk here at NDC London this week, and I spent almost the entire talk about the cons. And it's not <laughs> right. not because I'm generally a negative person, or I'm trying to dissuade people from doing this, but just simply that having been doing this for a couple of years now, my brain is just filled with the it's hard and. It's and hard. Like, <laughs> Yes, it is just and pain. It's just, yeah. just filled with it's pain. It's not just pain, you know. There's some. <laughs> like there is payoff, like yeah. you know, the the payoff is really big. Like if if you can build an, a nice single page application, then you can produce a user experience that is as good as or better than native apps. You really sure. can, and you can do it with native code, and it will run on all the devices, and you can still package it to run as a an app store app with something like Cordova if you want to, yeah. mm-hmm. and you get to as a developer. Really stay at the sort of beating heart of web development, making your own skill set really relevant, you know, for your own future. So there, yes. there are loads of really great things about it, but yeah, the cost is significant because it's it's complex. It's I think building a a, a really heavy client side JavaScript application is as different from server oriented web development as something like game development right, or yeah. you know scientific computing or something. It's really just a separate discipline in in so many ways and and it's hard for people who they've done a bit of ASP.NET MVC or some web forms or something and they just say oh yeah we're meant to do a single page application and they're maybe not prepared for the fact that you've got like a year of learning or something like that I mean I'm not saying that I don't want to be too depressing of course you can Mm -hmm. start and the more you use standard things and there are some some uh, frameworks and scaffolding tools and such that'll give you good starting points. And yeah. hopefully you can be productive in a, a week or two. But yeah. still, there's a big learning curve and, and so many different concepts compared with server uh, based HTML rendering. And if only server
1: is... didn't have to die. Oh, <laughs> man, so awesome. <laughs> so we're like with so programming models, just so great.
0: But it, I mean, the other side of this is this. Because it's using a language and a tool set that you're already familiar with, yeah. you're probably underplaying how different the development pattern actually is. Yeah. you just assume yeah. it's JavaScript. How hard could it be?
2: Yeah, mm. yeah. And it, and it is so different because there are so many different concepts that you've got to juggle in terms of like managing state and making sure that things are going to behave properly when right. the user reloads and uh, working with data access and caching the right amount, data, right amount of data, preloading parts of your application and dynamically loading other parts and Oh, I mean, I, I could just go on, but it's yeah. there's just a lot of aspects that, that don't exist on the server.
1: Serious libraries there. But we
0: are, them. you know, you, you said it yourself. This is about creating as good a client experience as any native app.
2: And I think you can do that, yeah. yeah. And, and the tooling and uh, technologies have moved on such a long way over the last couple of years that mm-hmm. I think people are in a stronger position than they have been. And, and I expect that will continue and more de facto standards will emerge. You know, we've tools that we've got now, things like uh, grunt and gulp for the, uh, build systems, right. yeah. Yeoman for scaffolding, yeah. um, karma, the test runner, Bauer for package management. Yeah. N- and none of these things either existed or were, uh, in, you know, you probably hadn't heard any, any of these things two years ago. And, right. uh, and yet these are pretty much standards by now. Yeah. Uh, it's a better experience, certainly, than it has been before. Yeah, and it just right. speaks to a an, an rapidly evolving tool set. Yeah.
0: Like it's just getting bigger, bigger, bigger. Uh, why not Angular? That seems to be the hotness these days for a library.
2: I I understand that Angular is very good. So I'm certainly <laughs> not trying to... I'm not a salesperson. Particularly, right. I would be terrible because I'd be too honest. So I, you must get that a lot, though. Why people, should I use knockout over Angular? Right? I do. Yeah, I, it comes in phases. So yeah. there was a while when people were saying, "Why not um, Backbone?" and yeah. "Why not just jQuery UI?" Mm-hmm. and "Why not React?" And, mm-hmm. You know, that, I don't expect that's ever going to change. People do want to compare technologies, and that's sure. that's very reasonable. Um, Angular has, has certainly been very strong over the last year. They've yep. they've done a great job of putting together a, a big framework that meets a, a large percentage of people's needs, and yeah. mm. people are pretty positive about it. Like it's not hard to find people complaining, but people sure. complain about anything. So, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, but all,
0: I also feel like it's not particularly opinionated. It's, okay, it's kind of a Swiss Army knife. There's a lot of tools mm. in Angular. There's yeah, other I, ways
2: to use it. Okay, I. I think of it as being fairly opinionated, to to be honest with you, um, because it does rely on the idea that you're going to do routing in a particular way. You are going to use DI in a certain kind of way. Mm. Uh, You're going to track changes to your data in a certain kind of way. You know, its strength really is if you're going to go with the convention that they set up, then, uh, well, one, other people who are quite smart have worked out that it actually works. And two, there's kind of a safety in numbers thing, even if it goes badly wrong, you can probably find someone on Stack Overflow who will tell you sure, what you did will wrong. Help you out. And, yeah. Yeah, right, right. So that's all very cool. But, you know, on the other side of it, frameworks come with quite a bit of risk to them because yeah, if yeah. you don't like a bit of it, you may not have any choice but to go with yeah, that. No, if you don't like in. some of the future direction that the project takes, and that's certainly one of the issues that people are having with Angular at the moment, that, yeah. you know, you are quite, you're bought into it. And, mm. and so when it comes to the Azure Management Portal, one of the reasons why the team uh, went with knockout was specifically because it was relatively low risk as a library yeah. if they decided after six months that it wasn't going to work had some chronic like performance issue or something which yeah. thankfully we haven't found but if if that had happened mm-hmm. then it could have been swapped out for some other kind of binding system sure um so yeah low risk
1: or write rewrite your own kind of binding oh yeah yeah well
2: actually being microsoft that's inevitably
0: what would have happened yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, maybe i'm thinking more in terms of it's not like knockout's very specific yes it's its area of concern it's not trying to be all things it does one thing very well Mm -hmm. yeah three things
2: this it matches my philosophy quite well which is that i like to be in control of what's going on, and I, I'll choose right. my own combination of things right. that are optimized for a particular problem. Yeah, and uh, I understand that if you are completely un- unfamiliar with single page applications, then you probably are going to have an easier first few months going with something like Angular because you are going to find more people say, you know, this is what to do in your first week, and you know, there's going to be more that's just going uh, right for you out of the box, fewer right. decisions that you can get wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you're working on a, a bigger project that's going to have a, a lifetime of several years, if you've got a, at least a sort of moderate awareness of what it is that you're trying to achieve, then you can hopefully put together some collection of libraries that is a much more targeted solution. Right. Uh, yeah. than, you know, needing one big framework that's standard in some way. Right. Can you
0: talk a bit about say, some of the other libraries that are mm-hmm. involved in the Azure portal page? I mean, obviously, Knockout yeah. on the binding side. Are there yeah. other key tools?
2: Yeah. So we we're very heavily using RequireJS, mm-hmm. the AMD cool. module thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. That started off as a someone just sort of slipped it in one day, and someone else <laughs> started using it, and someone else started using it, and pretty quickly, it's you know come to dominate the way that the the system is structured. Right. So yeah. everything is AMD modules now, and and that gives us a lot of flexibility to do things like. Control what stuff gets dynamically loaded and what stuff gets preloaded and right. how. And of yeah. course, it, it deals with uh, tracking uh, what they're called, like dependencies and such mm-hmm. for us. So that's great. Um, we also use TypeScript. Uh, oh, great. Completely. Interesting. Everything, wow. all of the code is TypeScript. Not more than a million lines of it. Um, wow. That's wow. a lot of TypeScript. Indeed. It is. Yes. It is. <laughs> um, and you, so. do you
1: personally use TypeScript?
2: Uh, in my day job. Yeah. I do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's your. You know,
1: here's somebody
2: who's done a lot of JavaScript, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Tell us what you think. I think it's pros and cons, to be yeah. honest with you. And, and I, since I work for Microsoft, maybe I should say it's all amazing and it's yeah, great. Yeah, but yeah. And, and there are some really good aspects to it. And I think it's definitely the right technology for us to use because we, on the Shell team, our job is to make easy-to-consume SDKs for other teams. Right. And one of the things that you get basically for free with TypeScript is a nice description of all the APIs that you're exposing that someone can discover uh, through IntelliSense. And we even automatically generate documentation from the, the type description files that TypeScript outputs. That's a really
0: great capability for an SDK builder is to have tools that spit out the things that people need
2: to use your
1: SDK. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And they, the SDKs are all in TypeScript. Like, yeah, plain vanilla JavaScript wouldn't be able to use your... No,
2: no, someone... Well, theoretically, someone just writing JavaScript can absolutely uh, make the same function calls and so on, invoke the same constructors and such, but doing so would just lose a whole opportunity to get strong tooling support. So I don't think people would likely do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing that's really good for us is that even though we've got such a massive code base it's not very hard to navigate it. You know, Mm -hmm. we we can very easily discover what APIs are available in what place because, you know, the the tooling tells us that. Uh, And then obviously we get all the sort of build time verification that we haven't got typers and stuff. Right. Um, Yeah. It
0: strikes me that for a large JavaScript oriented project, TypeScript gives you a lot of, Maintainable aspects, yeah. that make it easier mm-hmm. for multiple people to work on it, multiple people to care for it, and people to interact with it. Well,
2: that's exactly the problem that TypeScript yep. uh, aims to that's solve, and I think that it, it it largely does that, and and it's certainly getting closer to being a, a really successful implementation of mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now?
2: Ah, oh, it must be that happy time again.
1: Yep, time to wrap up the first half of this show in an observable collection of awesomeness. <laughs> And call Dispose. Nice. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, uh, Memory leak jokes. I love it. Actually, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, Telerik DevCraft is the most complete .NET toolbox for web, mobile, and desktop development. With the addition of UI for Xamarin to the DevCraft bundle, you can now create compelling native mobile experiences with your C-sharp skills. Download a free trial at tinyurl.com slash devcrafttrial. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? So today's winner is Vidas Kurosas from Denmark.
0: Congratulations, Vidas!
1: Yeah. And he just won the Telerik Devcraft Collection. He's very happy about that. It's a big pile of awesome from Telerik. And if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET rocks fan club we have thousands of members all over the world every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors and every december we give away five thousand dollars worth of technology that's right and that happens tomorrow tomorrow we announce the winner and uh that's gonna be awesome steve we'd like to ask our guests if you had five thousand u.s to spend on technology today
2: what would you buy sir so a dollar is like two guineas and a halfpenny, or yeah, something. Yeah, That's it's it. like <laughs>
1: farthings in a crown. I okay. think.
2: Uh... <laughs> okay. Um, I think it's, it's about three <laughs> okay. yeah. thousand pounds. Right. Right. Okay, yeah, something um, like that. Okay, yeah. So can I just use it as a dampener on a Tesla, or do yeah, you absolutely. It
0: do-
2: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, could get your radio-controlled Tesla. A whole thing. Oh yeah, of them, uh, I actually, could get the that. actual one.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. It'd be electric.
0: Oh, yeah, it would, yeah. And the charger itself for your house is pretty expensive, too. It's. Do you need to buy a charger? Well, you don't need to. Okay. Right? You can use your house power, but it takes a lot longer to charge your car. Okay. But if you put the high power one in... Oh, yeah? It it gets your charging times down a lot. Can
2: that part charge my laptop in like three seconds well one it would smoke (laughs) 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 your laptop is smoking (laughs) burst into flames (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) you like that that's an oldie but a goodie oh my goodness all right we got to dive back into this whole spa thing because i think it's still a debate as to the right kinds of apps Mm -hmm. i mean we definitely talked about sort of the overhead of designing properly and so forth but you know does this actually make sense for a crud app?
2: Uh, well, it, I think it depends. Yeah. I mean, okay. So all of my answers to all of your questions so far have been, it depends. Which is annoying, be, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. But okay. Let me, I'll be opinionated. So I think that anything that is behind some sort of a login screen mm-hmm. usually is a good fit for a really? single page application. Yeah, and so anything that is not is, important. is usually not a good fit. And, and I say that because the, the sort of things that you, and not behind a login screen by definition really is like public internet type stuff. Right. Typically the reason why people make that sort of thing is because it's for customers to come and find it. Right. And they're going to do that through a search engine. And as clever as search engines are these days, they're still probably going to stamp them. They're not going to really like stupid. click all your buttons and explore right. and f- figure out what different screens there are. And yeah, you know, so if you were building a, an e-commerce site, you would be a fool to do it. As a as a single page
0: application, yeah, Mm -hmm. and we've done so much with routing and things like that to make our pages, our dynamic pages look more and more static, so that the search engines do well with them. Yes. So you know why would you go completely against all of that effort? Yeah. So when you say login screen, you're really talking about unindexable material on the internet.
2: Yes, and also the sort of things that you tend to put behind a login tends to be some sort of control system, some sort of administration interface, right? Mm -hmm. And that kind of stuff usually is a good match for the kind of UI that you would see in a desktop application. Right. Usually, because the user is carrying out some work. Work is almost always stateful in some way. Yes. You know, the the kind of UI elements that you want to see there that you can work with incrementally and eventually save your changes, that kind of thing. All of this stuff tends to be a good fit.
0: Right. So anytime that yeah. would have been a desktop app, if yeah. not for the pain of deployment yeah. and all that sort of stuff, probably better off as a SPA long term. I mean that's a pretty large
2: chunk of, of apps out there. Steve. I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I I think it's you don't necessarily have to go completely all in on SPA. You yeah, know? and that's
0: an interesting part of this is yeah. when
2: do I kick to another page? Yeah, right. And yeah, again, that's, it's going to be so much depending on what, what how you want your application to look and feel that the costs of insisting that there's just one, literally one single page and you have to manage all state and all page transitions and everything right. like that, they're real. That's a, an actual cost that you will have to bear if, if you, Think that's important for the user experience you're trying to build, and if you can avoid it, then yeah, sure. Well, yeah. you
0: mentioned a million lines of TypeScript in yeah. the portal. Do you load all those lines every time <laughs> I hit that portal page?
1: Or, or asked another way, is there a limit and memory limit that is imposed on your team that says you your process cannot go above?
2: Well, that that would be interesting. We are, are not that sophisticated yet as to have a sort of an enforced memory. Restriction, but we are working towards ways of taking some of the memory load off the browsers. We do, yeah. we do sometimes consume more memory than we think. Is right? Is it's okay. not a
0: gigabyte page because of a memory leak. It's a gigabyte page because you loaded a gig of stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah, it yeah. it can get big for sure. And wow. so we we've got some quite a lot of infrastructure that deals with unloading things. Like mm-hmm. if we detect that you're not doing anything related to databases, mm-hmm. then we can actually unload everything uh, related to databases mm-hmm. and. Uh, and the user obviously doesn't know that this is happening, but no, because if they click on yeah. the database stuff, you'll load it back up again. Yeah. It's just a yeah, bit sure. of a lag. Yeah, precisely. Um, so that that's valuable uh, in terms of whether we preload everything. There was a time until not too long ago when we did, but yeah. we have mm-hmm. since the AMD kind of swept our system, and you know everyone's doing stuff with required JS modules now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's become practical for us to uh, to delay the loading of of most things. So mm-hmm. uh, now when you kick off the portal. When it first comes up, it comes up in a state where very relatively few of the extensions, as we call them, that implement things like websites and database and stuff right. are actually there. And it's it's as if they've been unloaded because they were idle, and they will come up you know, when you first go to them. Yeah, take a little bit of time to load it up. Yeah, You know, it was a, w- a trick we did
0: way back in the early days. It's a strange loop, which was mm-hmm. the, the appliance we were making to make websites go faster, yeah. where we were adding code to pages to preload the elements we expected you would need next. Oh, yeah and tried to learn what those were by Mm. watching overall behaviors and so forth. I I could see you guys heading down that similar path. It's like, especially for a given user, there's probably patterns of of behavior. It's like every time this person shows up the portal, they go check their uh, analytics first. So we should just get those analytics modules loaded now and
2: save them a little time. That's very interesting. Yeah, we've not got anywhere near quite that sophisticated yet, but I guess the day may well come when we look at that sort of thing. But this whole plug-in model is about, limiting memory then. Well, that's one of the aspects of it. The There are several other aspects, and it comes down to this robustness and mm-hmm. uh, security thing that I mentioned. Like Nobody's going
0: to want everything loaded, but you don't know what they are going to need loaded. So that's true. Yeah.
2: But also, bear in mind that the kind of data that we deal with as a cloud service provider is important, sensitive data. It may be governmental data. It may mm-hmm. be healthcare data or something like that. We can't l- do something that makes that likely to get leaked or exposed. You know, we've got to uh, be extremely robust, and so we can't take the chance that uh, a team that builds, let's to pick on a, my old team, let's say the Azure Mobile Services folks, just have a bad day one day and they mm-hmm. put some kind of cross-site scripting vulnerability in their code. Mm-hmm. We can't accept that because they've done that that the SQL databases data gets leaked. Right. You know, we've got yeah. to have this hard isolation between different parts. Of the system, mm-hmm. um, so uh, the way we achieve that is that all the different parts of the system uh, they are all running in hidden, headless, isolated iframes. Interesting. So yeah. they wow. the the UI that you see is not actually. Uh, provided by any of those different extension teams they just send us instructions to like draw a gl- grid please and fill it with this data but they can't actually <laughs> see the dom directly they can't just go dollar dot some yeah. css collector and read all the data out because that would be a huge yeah. vulnerability I'm sure if be reaching yeah. across the layer there yeah have you do you signal at all uh, some of our extension teams do use signal yeah mm-hmm. and so they they deal uh, because you know it's up to them where they get their data from and they right. can pull it in whatever they they want. And then they supply that through to the shell and we render it. And we're looking at making a standard system for uh, connecting to SignalR2. Uh, so that instead of you opening N WebSocket connections, just because you've got N different extensions trying sure. to use sockets, right. we'll aggregate it all into one thing. Yeah, that's pretty smart. It's a yeah. little more efficient. In, yeah.
1: You know, there's something I always love asking guys like you who do a lot of work in JavaScript. And that is, What's on your wish list for
2: JavaScript? (laughs) My wish list. I think, by a long way, the most cool and exciting thing that is coming along that I'm really enthusiastic about is the whole web components thing. Right. Um, And the shadow DOM and the associated technologies. Tell us
1: about that. So, don't know.
2: All right. Do you remember the in Internet Explorer four days when there's this behaviors concept, the Mm. HTC files or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was like you make up a custom element name and then you associate some behavior with those elements so whenever someone creates a um let's call it a dialogue element just to make one up sure mm-hmm. that it's going to contain this kind of markup it's going to be uh, wired up to react in this way if you click on it that sort of thing so it's a it's a component and that's what Web components give you, right. but they do so in a in a really uh, useful manner. So you can do things like compose components together, and you can easily redistribute and share them, and so on. Um, and you can also tie in with different events that occur like when this element gets removed from the page i need to do this kind of clear up logic that mm-hmm. kind of stuff so
1: it's a sort of a standard
2: interface to develop a
1: component architecture yes that all vendors and third party and open source and anybody else can play in. yes exactly yeah. that's a good way of looking it at the i discoverable yeah. i dispose of the web
2: right? like, it, yeah like it, it, it allows you to create your own sort of uh, language for, mm-hmm. for the elements that you build your pages out of. Right. And you can imagine in an extreme case, somebody m- writing markup that doesn't contain any divs or, mm. or any standard elements. Or, but maybe it would at a very low level. But at the highest level, you've just got all these references to components that mean something in your application, right. like login form and you know list of customers and things yeah, like you, that. Now
0: you're sort of in a composability model, yeah. right? Just pulling all these things together, they'll yeah. do their thing, and, and we'll get a page. Yeah. Out yeah. Of
1: it. Now, what about some of the things that you love about C Sharp that you I miss in JavaScript? I mean, yeah. I, I find myself wanting link all the time, and I yeah. love async await. Yeah, know, for example. Instead yeah. of having to do everything by passing functions to something, which is going to call me back. <laughs> yeah. And that.
2: Yeah. It would just I'd, be nice to
1: abstract all that stuff away.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think that the, the async stuff would probably top my personal wish list, yeah. you know, as you just mentioned. And the good news is that uh, with uh, the generators from ES6, you can produce exactly those kind of semantics, even though the syntax is a little awkward. Right. Mm. And there is a proposal out at the moment to actually add the await and a. Async keywords into the language. And so that would just be a simple syntax sugar over the underlying generator system that we've already got. Um, But that, yeah, that would be. I mean, it's supposed to,
1: because the functional nature of JavaScript is such that, you know, in C sharp, WPF, Silverlight, or whatever, if you're doing cross thread uh, calls, you know, you have to wrap it, you have to call the delegate and all of that. Mm -hmm. Well, in JavaScript, you get around that by if I have a function that's going to return something on another thread or it's got something on another thread. I pass a function to it, and that function gets called when it's done on yeah. the on the UI thread. It's a little bit of a challenge for people to get over that hump, yeah. I guess, is putting it mildly. Mm-hmm. Once yeah. you do, it's great, but it's a totally different model, and you're still writing curly braces, but, you know, but it's, so you, your natural instinct is to do things the C-sharp way. Sure. Yeah. I'm just wondering what's better, you know, because it seems like Async Await was created to sort of get around the basic problems of threading in a procedural top-down model, but that's not really the way JavaScript works.
2: No, that's true. So JavaScript doesn't have the same issue about needing to return to the UI thread, because JavaScript only gives you one thread anyway, so you don't really have an issue with that. Although that's not completely true with um, web workers, I suppose. But yeah, yeah, it's still very useful to be able to have that kind of syntax where you can just say, var x equals await some function, uh, because... Trying to do it with uh, generators on their own is is weird because Mm. they're clearly not designed for that and it feels like you're fighting the system and callbacks just make your code weird. Right, callbacks are weird. Yeah. Let's put that and way. JavaScript's yeah. gotten weird enough, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's
1: like weird JavaScript.
2: Yeah. It could, it could use a little bit of that. Yeah. But that's happening, you know, with things like class keywords and imports yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And actually my, now I've just remembered my, my personal wish list would actually be topped by, uh, I really wish there was some way of doing weak references oh. in, in JavaScript. Um, and I know that seems like an obscure detail, but sure. if that were possible, so many of the, the scenarios that we have to work hard to not leak memory in would mm-hmm. just not exist scenarios. So that's like, scenarios. okay,
1: kind of dispose that, but if I want to go back and grab it, I can.
2: Yeah. yeah. So it, the, the cl- key scenario for me and f- I think for single-page applications like the Preview Portal would b- be when you're trying to react to some data changing. So you've got some... uh some value that might change to some other value in mm. the future. Mm. Uh, if you want to add a subscription to that thing, then in order for that thing to be able to call you back later, it has to have a reference to you. Sure. And that means that you stay in memory, even if you have no role anymore. You've been right. removed yeah. from the UI, and yeah. Yeah. there's no point in even calling that subscription right. anymore. So if that subscription could have been modeled as a weak ref, yeah. then it would just automatically go away when the, you know, the subscriber was collected. Right. Right. Uh, that would be really nice. Yeah. But unfortunately... The folks in charge of the specs have have counted it out uh, for mm. the time being, at least. So I'll just keep on mentioning it at all available per- opportunities yeah. until yeah. Yeah. <laughs> persistence sometimes wins the day. Sometimes.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I can't imagine the Azure portal's done. There's so much to do there, yeah. and the product continues to evolve. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Are you guys looking at major changes in the shell, or is that plug-in model working for you? It's just new plugins are coming.
2: We're, we are continually changing it to the yeah. extent that people even get annoyed about how continually we are changing it. Um, in, and we're doing so at all levels. So we're doing so both at the underlying implementation. We're changing a lot of our APIs because we're learning, you know, and we like the thing about moving from I dispose to uh, the lifetime management pattern is just one example. There are many other cases where we've learned as time has gone on that there are better ways of doing Things like better ways of doing data access, better ways of sharing data, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, so we are trying to uh, continually move people to in a direction that means that whatever you do is just going to work. And you yeah. can't get it wrong even if you're trying. Yeah. Like that's obviously, uh, that's one aspect to it. And then at the UI level, we there's a lot more for us to do. You know, we've got a set of UI conventions right now that are optimized around Cases like, I want to create a new website, I want to see what the status of my websites are, that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. But they're not optimized around scenarios like, I want to uh, write a document, or Mm -hmm. I want to edit some code, I want to um, manage a list of customers, or something like that. A lot of these kind of uh, business, line of business type activities uh, are not particularly well modeled by the Mm -hmm the set of UI elements sure. that we've got right now. So we definitely are expanding
0: when you, and you do certainly get into, I know working are getting Azure of myself. There are, when I have a bunch of tasks to do yep. and when I want a sense of what's going on yep. and they're, they're very different ways of using that UI. Yep. One's more persistent for the other and trying to create a good visualization, things like that. The other one is like as few as clicks possible to get oh, me yeah. done, please. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, the downside of the plugin model is there's a certain amount of overhead to getting to the various services.
2: Yeah. That's, that is true but i don't think that has to be true mm. forever like, there's no there's nothing to stop us from creating uh, methods for these plugged in extensions to integrate themselves really deeply right. so i mean they can already add themselves onto the start board as we call it that mm-hmm. big blue space that you land on when you first arrive but yeah. they can be integrated very deeply so you can imagine some sort of uh, instant searching feature where you press some key, a, a search dialog comes up, you start typing, and we instantly search across all the right. different databases and websites and everything yeah, like that. Just because it's modular under yeah. the hood doesn't mean it has to look like that on the client. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, and, and
0: then, But you still have that modular element, even if you're loading it every time, because it yeah. gives you that flexibility for updates, and
1: yeah. you, know, you can
2: choose how, how you're actually going to deal with it.
1: So what's your favorite feature of the preview portal?
2: My favorite feature? Wow. Um, as a as a consumer or as a yeah
1: well how about this what was the biggest challenge you know something that you like look at it working and go wow that's amazing it even works
2: yeah i (laughs) you know uh, spending as much time as i do in the the underlying implementation there there are some details of what's going on there that sort of melts my brain still (laughs) like the way that um the system of uh Passing data changes across these frame boundaries mm. in a reliable way that copes with things like right. if an error occurs on one side or if something gets shut down due to memory usage or something like that, and and everything just transparently works when it comes back up. That yeah. I, I find that hard to imagine how that works, but yeah, it you're does.
0: Dealing with all these headless iframes, like yeah. calling between them is not a trivial thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there has to be some
1: real coordination there.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. right. I think we're on version three of the the code that deals with proxy and all this data stuff around it's pretty sophisticated um so yeah that that surprises me and and challenges me um but then i think just being able to do all this stuff in a way that is performant enough is also feels like a, a bit of an accomplishment and um, so i'm quite pleased with that
1: you know I, I love this whole conversation about web components and i don't want to derail it again but i mean i can can you invent, uh, imagine a day when we have these sort of drag-and-drop tools in a toolbox like <laughs> we did in VB1? Yeah,
2: it's very easy to imagine, but yeah. then I also feel a bit like, how many times have we said that that's going to be how it is, and yeah. it, ultimately people like writing code as lines right. of text. Yeah, so, that's true.
1: And, you know, uh, invariably, when you wrap things in these high-level containers, that uh, you you get bit, because yeah. you're not watching out for things like memory yeah. leaks.
2: But and things are... Um, are becoming gradually more high-level. And mm-hmm, sure you know, Web are. Components does help with that. And it's easy to see something like Bootstrap or um, or jQuery UI would have said a few years ago yeah. being a brilliant fit for this sort of component right. system. So you yeah. could easily think of mocking up a new uh, mobile app by just dragging a bunch of like panel elements and list elements and things like that. And then instantly you've got the exact look and feel that it should right. be. And you're just going to fill in your application logic after that a real
1: WYSIWYG web editor well oh, yeah my god
2: it wouldn't necessarily have to be WYSIWYG even, even if you're writing code like it, yeah. it would be very little code just to put like a angle bracket panel close angle right. bracket sure, it's yeah. a lot easier than div class equals this and then oh, wire sure. up some code and, and all that sort of thing yeah yeah I
1: like that. that I can't wait for that day <laughs> <laughs> uh, Steve any last words before we wrap it up uh, I've no other special message that I need to give. Alright, great. Except that we want uh what
2: in JavaScript? Weak references. Oh yes. Yeah. Get busy on please. that. Bring please. me the weak references and my Tesla and I'll be happy. Alright.
1: <laughs> Steve Sanderson, thank you very much. We'll see you next time on.NET Rocks.